The views and opinions of this program are those of the host, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up with the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least, but there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions bored of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Plenty of outside market influence and a mostly down day seen across the commodity trade and across the stock market as well as we wrapped up the week on Friday. Welcome into Market Talk. Thanks for joining us here today once again. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Always a pleasure to have you here with us as we talk about the markets and the latest news and issues impacting rural America. As I mentioned, mostly a down day. Wheat led the way down. Dollar was up sharply. That contributed to the headwinds, and we saw just some recession fear once again on Wall Street, uh, really impacting things. The VIX trading near 22, 23 throughout the day, and the dollar was up again over 105. Crude oil was higher. That didn't really have an impact on the uh, grain and livestock trade, but just a a lot of uh, technical damage done to some of these charts and just plenty of selling pressure to wrap up the week. We're going to talk about the markets. We're going to dive in. We're going to get some analysis and get thoughts on what we saw to wrap up the week. Ted Seifert, Zaner Aghedge, going to join us coming up here in segment two and three to discuss on today's show. Look forward to catching up with Ted. Always uh, a great conversation with him here when he joins us on Market Talks. We'll get to that coming up here in just a little bit. Later on in the show as well, we're going to uh, head back to the Cattle Industry Convention at NCBA Trade Show in New Orleans a few weeks ago, and I got a chance to talk with Emma Kaufman from Performance Livestock Analytics. They're underneath the uh, Zoetis umbrella PLA. We're going to learn a little bit about what they do, some of the products they offer, some of the data that they could provide to beef producers. So we'll get to that coming up here later in the show as well. I'm going to run through some closing market numbers here in a minute, but also want to discuss the fact that Friday was the one-year anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Now, it's been that one year since those Russian tanks rolled into Ukraine and started a war that many thought would only last days or weeks, but has now lasted for 12 months. Carl Setzer, commodity risk analyst with AgriVisor, says he wouldn't be surprised if 12 months from now we're still talking about it. When the Russian invasion first began, commodity prices shot up significantly, but Setzer says the ag markets have since stabilized. It's definitely been muted here. And the reason being is the knee-jerk reaction was we're not going to get any wheat. That's where 20% of the world's wheat supply comes from. Corn shut off. And now, here 12 months later, it's the opposite. Matter of fact, there is so much grain flowing out of that Black Sea region, mainly Ukraine, into the European Union. 
they want it shut off because it's just killing their domestic market. Setzer says that the war's impact on Ukraine's quarter wheat exports weren't nearly as dire as first predicted. More of the crop got out. More was harvested last year. We're going to see some decent production this year. Now, it's not going to be back to pre-war levels, but it's going to be enough that when we add it into the rest of the global supply, it's going to be a fair amount. So, we're starting to lose that little bit of interest. But he also says that he, the war is still creating huge challenges for Ukraine's grain exports. Now, vessel loadings have slowed. It's an issue there. Only two and a half vessels being cleared inspections per day. Some chatter that Russia is going to shut down the corridor. I don't think Russia is going to do that. Russia is upset with the sanctions against them, and we knew they would be. But the thing is, Russia doesn't want any new sanctions either. So that's going to help keep that corridor open. And Setzer adds that the Agma Markets have also stabilized because of expectations that this war could last for quite some time. This could be a long, drug-out war, and when you have that, the market does tend to just kind of look away after a bit. That has started to happen here, barring some huge black swan event. And when you're dealing with countries like Russia and Ukraine, you cannot rule them out. Now, grain exports out of Ukraine are down nearly 29% compared to the same time last year, right before Russia's invasion. Now, also uh, talking about the Russia-Ukraine war, Russia's war uh, has impacted food security and increased food inflation. That's according to U.S. National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby. Putin has weaponized food. He's weaponized energy and oil. He's weaponized information, clearly. And he's also tried to weaponize food. And Mr. Lavrov, as foreign minister, will fly around to places in Africa and Latin America and claim that the reason why there's food shortages or High inflation for food products is because of the the West propagating all this conflict in Ukraine. And of course, we all know that to be a a, a bald-faced lie. He says the unprovoked war started by Russia has an impact on global food security. Mr. Putin's war, a war he chose, has in fact had an impact on food prices around the world and the availability of particularly grains, not just grains, but predominantly grains coming out of Ukraine. And it's important that we understand the reverberation of that decision by Mr. Putin to move in, into Ukraine and what that's done to food security all around the world. There is a direct tie to what's going on in Ukraine and what's getting on or not getting on kitchen tables around the world. Now, the agreement to allow grain exports from Ukraine, Kirby says, is helping, but he says food security is just another reason the world wants to see the war end, but he doesn't expect the U.S. to put boots on the ground to help revitalize Ukraine's agriculture. The issue of food insecurity globally is very much tied to this war in Ukraine, and another reason why we all want to see this war end as soon as possible so that Ukraine's grain market can be restored, the health of their agriculture can be brought back, and we can try to alleviate some of these shortages. Other than the direct humanitarian assistance that we are providing financially and through our partners, I would not anticipate an American presence on the ground to directly assist in agricultural revitalization or humanitarian delivery. And once again, that is National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby talking about the one-year anniversary on Friday of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Final numbers from Friday's trade action before we head to the break. March cord was down 10 and a quarter, 650. July cord down 12, 638 and three quarters. New crop December cord down nine and a quarter, 576 and a quarter. March beans down five and a quarter, 1529. July down 11 to 1508 and a half. November new crop beans down 13 to three quarters at 1370. 
74. March bean meal up four dollars a ton, 497.10. March bean oil was down 93.6111. March Chicago wheat down 3708 and a quarter. July was down 27729 and a quarter. March KC wheat that was down 2841 and three quarters. July KC wheat. And that was down 23 at 828. March spring wheat down 23 and a quarter, 884 and three quarters. July down 21 and a half, 875 and three quarters on Friday. Oats for March, seven to three quarters higher, 379. The cotton market. March cotton up 272 points, 85.13. May cotton up 274 points, 84.90. In livestock trade, live cattle February up 5, 165.20. April up 5, 165.37. June live cattle down 20, 161.07. March feeder cattle down 15, 189.07. April down 10, 193.57. Feeder cattle for May up 32, 198.05. Hogs, April down 17, 86.02. May hogs down 60, 95.35. June hogs down 47 103 47 on the day on friday all right coming up next we are going to dive into the market trade and discuss what we saw this past week ted seifert zayner ag hedge he is our guest analyst here on the show today and he joins us next we're back with more market talk on the way right after this informed with the latest market information for your operation this is market talk now back to jesse allen well as we wrapped up the week of trade on friday a holiday shortened week and we saw plenty of downside pressure throughout the grain and oilseed trade livestock too a little bit of moderate pressure to the downside there as well we're going to dive in and discuss here to join us and talk about it our good friend ted seifred with zaner ag hedge is on the show today ted it is good to catch up with you buddy how you doing i'm doing well jesse thanks for having me man I appreciate the time as always. We have plenty to take a look at here on the show today. And uh, you and I were chatting before we jumped on the air a little bit. Kind of a rough day, uh, especially wheat downside leader there, corn, beans, uh, rough day, especially corn the last couple of days of the week. So as we kind of just take a, a, a thousand foot view here, I know the dollar was higher Friday. Obviously, have to think that created a bit of a headwind and some of the outside market worry maybe also created a headwind on Friday. What do you think? Yeah, you know, outside markets were a little bit mixed, Jesse, because crude oil was higher. So that helps a little bit when you talk about ethanol and you talk about biodiesel. But aside from that, yes, that dollar up over 600 points, um, the Dow down over 400 points. So, you know, that combination of lower stocks, higher dollar does create that sort of risk off trade for a lot of commodities that don't have some individual fundamental mo- fundamental moving them like say crude oil did um as far as the grains are concerned yeah you know i don't know if this is it right you know just you and i have talked about for months how there is this tremendous downside risk that we have in these grain markets because we we are we have been trading at the higher end of the historical range for for quite some time going on two and a half years really uh, and you knew at some point the whole adage of high prices are the cure for high prices, i.e. demand destruction, i.e. we're going to produce more. Uh, and you knew all that was coming. It's just a question of when. And I don't know if this is it or not. 
if it's not, this is definitely a very strong foreshadowing of what may be to come further on down the road. Keep in mind, we do still have a growing season to get through here in the U.S. And, you know, that second season Brazilian corn crop still has a growing season to get through. So it might be a little bit too early to take away all of the weather premium here in these markets. But the writing is kind of on the wall. Mm -hmm. We haven't created a new paradigm. We haven't put in a new plateau of $5 or $5.50 corn. That hasn't happened. Maybe the paradigm has shifted a little bit higher because of the inflation, but it hasn't shifted to, say, $5. Uh, so there is downside risk here. And, and so what we saw Thursday and Friday was a very sharp reminder that that is the case. And, you know, that's kind of a good thing for these markets. Uh, for corn in particular, it's been trading so sideways for so long that a lot of producers have gotten very complacent, just basically saying, you know what, corn's not going up, it's not going down. I'm happy with the prices, very happy with the prices that we have here. Uh, love to see higher. Might as well wait and see if that happens. we got a growing season, seasonality. We usually hit our highs in June or July. It's, it's really fostered the whole concept of complacency, the whole feeling of complacency. Uh, and maybe Thursday and Friday were a bit of a wake-up call there. And, and that's mm -hmm. good because I think guys needed that. We have to realize that we paid a lot for input costs. They've come down. But, you know, a lot of us booked in the, in the fall when they were – really at their highs. This is the highest risk corn crop that any of us have ever planted, right? So mm -hmm. you can't be complacent when prices are up at these levels. You have good profit margins right now. Most of us should. Anyways, you got you to gotta take care of that side of the equation too, Jesse. And, and again, I think Thursday and Friday really serve as a reminder of that. Now, whether this is a a big flush out or not. Um, you know, markets have a tendency to overcorrect, right? And, and you worry that maybe we were trading at or above fair value for a while. At some point, we'll go below fair value. Uh, you know, that's the worry. I, I hope this isn't the time for that. Again, we still have two crops to get through between the Supreme crop and our crop. But you look at the demand side of the equation, and that really mm -hmm. is the problem. Every single portion of the demand side of the equation is lower or hasn't grown as much as you would like it to year yeah. over year because we are seeing that demand destruction occurring and exports being the big one, the one that we really get concerned about. And and their Friday morning, we saw export sales again, and they were very lackluster for corn once again. Soybeans continue to kind of surprise uh, in, a, in a time frame where they should really be falling off. And they're certainly lower than they were a couple of weeks ago. But they're still there for that matter. Uh, but the corn export sales are, are, are a problem, right? Even with Argentina, major issues in Argentina, global end users have not been uh, motivated. They don't have a sense of urgency to come in and aggressively buy U.S. corn. And that is a big problem. And I think that's a big part of why we were down Thursday and Friday. And then I would also say the ag outlook numbers, even though mm -hmm. we don't generally put a whole lot of stock on those because it's really just a very first glance at at a USDA balance sheet. It's not even a balance sheet on a WASD yet, but it sets their trend line yield, a 181.5 for corn. That seems lofty to me. Um, and I also would say a one point not roughly a 1.9 billion bushel carryover for next year corn may be lofty for me. Yeah. But I think the trade really kind of took a step back from and, and what was a bit of a wake-up call was to see what they did with demand and, and the lack thereof. And, and I think that's something that really resonated. And actually seeing that on paper, albeit uh, uh, an outlook forum, uh, I, I think that really kind of shook the market a bit. And 
and then you, you had a technical breakdown, right? So you yeah. started running some stops, got into areas that we hadn't seen for quite a while. You knew there were stops down there. Uh, so, yeah, it, it was kind of a, again, a wake-up call Thursday and Friday. Well, and it felt like, especially in the case of the wheat market, we hit some of those stops and just kind of the continued selling scene there on Friday from what we saw Thursday. And on that thought, Ted, how much credence do you give to maybe the wheat markets being the the leader in grains, maybe kind of pulling on cord beans, either to the downside, to the upside, et cetera? Do you, do you think wheat is more of a leader right now or not? Well, you know, wheat has been in a very significant downtrend for a long period of time, while corn has been sideways to slightly higher, and beans have actually had a bit of an uptrend. So wheat hasn't really been that leader yet. But this sort of failure to put in a low, there was a whole lot of people that were talking about a head and shoulders bottom in wheat. There were a lot of buyers that came in that put stops under that shoulder that that really got run through there on Friday. Um now, wheat's gotten back down to what I would consider more realistic prices. I think for a while we carried a, a conflict premium in there, but we never really did see that big pickup in our, our exports anyways. Uh, I think wheat is now getting into the prices where if it continues to go lower, it will be a bigger and bigger drag on corn. Uh, for soybeans, soybeans are kind of doing a different thing right now. Because our export sales stay fairly good, because of the issues in Argentina and the strength in soybean meal, uh, because, look, Argentina... That's not a soybean problem. I mean, it's a soybean problem for them, obviously, but they don't really export soybeans. They export soybean meal. So that means our soybean, our soybean meal becomes more attractive on the global market, uh, which means crush margins could really increase. It doesn't necessarily mean flat price soybeans have to go sharply higher. That's a much deeper conversation, I suppose. Um, but we could take more of a leadership role going forward and drag on the corn now that it's a, it's a, a relative, a much more relative price to corn. Um, but as far as the soybeans are concerned, they're kind of doing their own thing, Jesse. I want to uh, commit with a trader's report data. We haven't seen that for weeks. I've been looking on Friday. Are we, are we going to get some of that Friday or are they holding off another week, Ted? Do we know yet? What we do know is that if we do get it on Friday, it's going to be three weeks. It's going to be what we're where we were three weeks ago. It's not going to be current data. Um, at least that's not what I was reading. Um, so, I mean, I guess that's better than nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it really doesn't get us yeah. caught up to speed, you know. And, and, and that's something that we're missing. I, I know that a lot of people really watch that very closely. Uh, for me, it's one of my tools in my tool shed. I, I mean, I do... I do pay attention. I do like it. I do watch it. Uh, but, you know, life has kind of gone on in the last three weeks. You know, we're, we're sort of doing our thing and you can kind of get a general sense of how the funds are trading. You know, sometimes we get these commitment and trader reports and we're surprised because we see market moves and we figure, oh, wow, the funds are doing this. And then they actually weren't. Uh, that could be the case. But go back to Thursday and corn, big down day, uh, you know, down almost 15 cents. It was the highest volume day in corn that we had since 2018. It'd be almost impossible to do that without a rather sizable fund participation on that day. So, you know, uh, almost doesn't really matter what had happened leading up to Thursday because, again, corn had been so very, very sideways in that time frame that we not had commitment of traders. But then what happened on Thursday well, that's the one we want to see. And that wouldn't happen to next Friday anyways. Who knows when that or if will ever happen. Um, 
but you have to know from the volume and the the changing open interest that there was some pretty hefty fund uh, participation there Thursday into Friday. Well, once again, that is Ted Seifert with Zaner Ag Hedge. You can find him on Twitter as well, at the Ted Spread. We're going to continue that conversation with Mr. Ted Seifert. Coming up here after the break as we're back with more Market Talk on the way right after this. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency, so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We are having a conversation today with Ted Seifert of Zaner Ag Hedge, talking markets, wrapping up the week of trade. Ted, overall, uh, just to kind of put a bow on the grains for us here today, uh, you, you mentioned some of this, the downside risk you feel is in this market. So as producers are getting ready here, gearing up spring planting, few weeks away, even though a lot of areas got hit with uh, plenty of snow and ice here this uh, past week. What do we need to think about risk management wise if we've already done a little bit of, you know, business, old crop, new crop, or we haven't done any at all? Uh, what do we need to think about here risk management wise right now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, my, my, my message right now, Jesse, is just don't be complacent. And hopefully what happened at the end of this week really kind of was a bit of a wake up call for people. You know, it, it's it's not like we're we're at the lower end of the range, you know, three thirty corn and you know nine dollar beans, where you can just kind of let that go, right? You don't have a significant amount of downside risk right now. You have a significant amount of downside risk, uh, just historically speaking. This is the high end, higher end of the range. We could drop two dollars in corn. We could drop four dollars in beans. I'm not saying we will, Jesse, but that risk is there. And is there a lot more so this year than it was last year or the year before? And not only that, we've paid a lot, especially for this corn crop. We've paid a lot to do this. But even for soybeans, you know, rents coming up, uh, interest rates coming up on our loans, you know, so, so many things uh, are getting more expensive. We just can't sit here and risk the, um, the amount of downside potential that these markets have in order to try to capture what I would think is some fair, fairly limited upside potential at this point. We don't have this, this strong flow of inflation. Yeah, okay, inflation came out stronger than expected in the month of January, but it's nowhere near the levels it was at a year ago. Uh, and it's not being created like it was the year before that even. So it's a different climate. We're still at these high prices, which for grains, you've got to be somewhat thankful for. I mean, look at crude oil, Jesse. It's half of, of where it was from its highs. Look at natural gas. It's not even a quarter of where it was from its highs. Look at lumber. Look at copper. Look at really all the different commodities, except for the agricultural sector. We know it can happen. We know that when the climate changes and the individual fundamentals change, things can come down in a hurry and really shock people how low they can go because we had gotten used to this mindset of you know corn's going to trade between uh you know 660 and, and 680 old crop and between 590 and six dollar new crop and stay there forever 
Well, again, then things change and then they shock mm-hmm. you. So, look, don't get shocked, right? I mean, just be active. And and look, and if it doesn't happen, if you go in and, and you create a synthetic put by by selling cash and owning calls or you just buy some puts or even if you just outright flat price cash, it's really not the worst thing in the world, even if markets do go a bit higher on a weather problem. But that's what it would take, Jesse. It would take a really major weather problem for our U.S. growing season to really get these markets inspired again, because we just went through a long period of time talking about how terrible Argentina was, yet we couldn't, we just couldn't make a new high in corn. Beans did okay because we continue to see that export sales number roll along, and we do have a fairly tight old crop balance sheet. Beans are the one thing that we didn't really talk a whole lot about, Jesse, and beans are the one mm-hmm. thing that I do feel like you are allowed to be a bit bullish on for the moment, but looking out at a new crop, looking out beyond that, you have to be really worried about what sort of downside potential we have because when you spend a lot of time at the high end of the range and you kill off that demand, remember 2012. It takes multiple years to go back and find that demand back and to slow production down. So, again, you know, the good times are now. The bad times at some point will be coming again, and we need to prepare for that. To your point on beans as well, it feels like meal has kind of been the driver. We're holding up near these highs, and maybe we're going to hold there for a little bit just because of the Argentina news as we watch harvest in Brazil slow and then the dryness in Argentina. But once that story finally fades, what happens to the meal market? And does that take the sales out of soybeans, I wonder, Ted? Yes. Uh, you know, loss of production, loss of soybean production in Argentina does take a chunk out of uh, global meal exports, right? So that mm-hmm. means that we could see more business for us. But, you know, don't sleep on Brazil. Uh, <laughs> they're a bigger crusher than Argentina is, Right. So, you know, if that crop is going to come out near expectations, give or take plus or minus 2 million metric tons or so, which is looking very much like it is, they're going to have a lot of beans to crush too. They will fill a lot of that gap for that global meal market that, that uh, is vacated by Argentina. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it is helpful, uh, but it's not the be-all, end-all for soybeans. The question for soybeans is, can we keep up export sales going forward? This is the time of year that they would fall out. I expect them to do that. But if soybean export sales continue to go like they did, like what we saw Friday morning, yeah, we got a fairly tight bean balance sheet that is sort of in a price rash, could be in a bit of a price rashing mode as we get into summer months. But right now, I don't feel like we're there. And I I don't think the meal situation in Argentina is enough to keep beans going sharply higher from here. I I think if anything, what what it will do is it will take crush margins that are already good and make them even better to try to encourage more production coming from crushers. I think, uh, not to go off on too much of a tangent, Jesse, but for, for years I've been saying we need to really do whatever we can to increase the crush capacity here in this country because we need to make the value add. Brazil is going to continue to grow their soybean crop. We need to we need to take on Argentina. We need to take on, on the meal market, not so much the soybean market. And, you know, back when the trade war started, I, I'm not very into government interference in the markets. But when the trade war started, that was government interference in markets. So I feel like it's okay to do the equal and opposite of something like that. I wanted to do tax incentives for crushers in order to sort of bolster that crush margin to generate mm-hmm. that extended crush capacity. But then we had the market kind of take, in, take that ball and run with it by offering really very good crush uh, margins for a very long period of time. That's increased that capacity. 
there's more facilities opening. Uh, some estimates are by 2029, we will have added about 700 million bushels worth of crush capacity. That's a big chunk. That's great. I think it needs to be more. And, you know, maybe that's what this will do is, you know, again, the, the shortness of meal coming out of Argentina should really make the crush margins better, which means meal prices can stay high. Doesn't necessarily mean soybean prices can have to stay high. Bean prices, can, the input to the crush can come down. Mm-hmm. And that's how you can make those crush margins better. And that could help, you know, spur that that further push towards capacity. Again, I didn't want to go off on a, a big tangent there. Sorry. <laughs> my, my point is, the takeaway from that is that the meal situation in Argentina doesn't necessarily mean that our soybean prices have to go sharply higher. Mm-hmm. The crush margins might take care of that for us. No, I appreciate the insight. I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Ted. Uh, we got to talk livestock real quick before we run out of time. Cattle, hogs, uh, fairly quiet day Friday. I know export sales of pork were pretty robust on Friday. Meantime, cattle, uh, I know we got the BSE case in Brazil. That seemed to impact trade Thursday a little bit, but then by Friday, we kind of let the news go, it seemed like. And then cattle on feed report seemed like just some squaring up ahead of that report after the close on Friday. Yeah, as we always do. And not surprising that we were a little bit quiet in front of the cattle on feed report. That cattle on feed report, very widely expected to be bullish. Reflecting the overall bullish sort of supply scenario that we have uh, in cattle, because not only do we have lower number of animals, and we know that that's going to be the case pretty much through this calendar year, at least for the first, uh, first three quarters of this calendar year, but we also watched weights drop six pounds last week, Jesse. For the first time in a long time, we're below the five-year average on weights. So low weights, low amount of animals, wow, that really means low production. Um, So that supply-side bull story is there for the cattle. I think we cooled it off a little bit there at the end of the Thursday and and a little bit on Friday based on the idea that – the stock market, you know, that dollar higher, stock market down, mm-hmm. these more of these talk about these re- recessionary concerns and things like that. Um, that was a little bit of a wet blanket. But for the most part, we were kind of waiting to see what that cattle and feed report said. Uh, as far as hogs are concerned, it's nice to see those export sales there. Um, yeah. But at the same time, yeah, you don't have the same sort of weight scenario happening for the hogs. You don't have the animal issue happening for the hogs. Um my hope, Jesse, is that um, the BSC in, in Brazil could not only uh, help our, our cattle or our beef exports, I'm wondering if it's going to help our pork exports too. Uh, so I, that's my little bullish tidbit or optimism that I have for the hogs. But you do really feel like hogs found a near-term low. We've bounced off that. We're kind of more towards the middle of the range or establishing maybe a longer-term low. I don't know if I see any reason right now for the hogs to go sharply higher maybe the best bet is to maybe tread sideways for a little bit. And I think that would be a relief for some producers. Ted, always appreciate the insight, my friend. If folks want to reach out to you and get some advice on their marketing there at Zaner Ag Hedge, what's the best way to reach you? Absolutely, Jesse. You can reach me directly at 312-277-0113. You can also find us on the web at www.zaner.com. You can read a bit about us. You can also sign up for our morning Ag Hedge newsletter. And if Twitter is your thing, I am at the Ted Spread. Always a pleasure, sir. Have a great one. Thanks so much for the time. Ted Seifert, Zaner Ag Hedge. We'll talk to you again soon, buddy. Thanks, Jesse. Appreciate it. 
And once again, it's always great to catch up with Ted Seifert of Zaner Ag Hedge, get his thoughts on the markets, get his analysis on what's happening in the commodity trade. As he mentioned, you can find them online, zaner.com, and also follow him on Twitter at the Ted Spread. He is definitely a fun follow on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter as well, by the way, at Market Talk Ag, at Market Talk Ag on Twitter if you want to stay up to date on news headlines and much more going on in the markets and throughout agriculture coming up here as we get ready to wrap up the show today we're going to head back to the cattle industry convention at ncba trade show in new orleans a few weeks ago i was able to talk with emma kaufman from performance livestock analytics they're under the zoetis umbrella we learned a little bit more about what pla does some of the data that they can provide to beef producers and much more we'll get to that coming up here after the break as we're back with more market talk on the way right after this Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk here today. Thanks again to Ted Seifried with Zaner Aghedge for joining us with Market Analysis. I want to head back to the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA trade show a few weeks ago in New Orleans and listen into a conversation I had with Emma Kaufman with Performance Livestock Analytics there a part of Zoetis. They're under the Zoetis umbrella. Had a really great conversation about some of the different uh, technology that they offer producers and much more. Here is that interview with Emma Kaufman from Performance Livestock Analytics. Emma, great to uh, talk with you. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So I appreciate the time. Just to give us a bit of an overview, talk to us about what PLA is, what Performance Beef is. Can you just kind of give us the thousand foot picture of what you guys do? Absolutely. So performance livestock, what we are is a management software for the everyday producer, whether you are feeding cattle, whether you are breeding. Right now, the biggest product that we have on the market is performance beef. So if you are either a stalker, backgrounder, even at a feedlot operation, what it does is it helps the owner and managers track not only their inventory for their feed and commodity pricing, but update and have accuracy and transparency. So even when they're off farm, they can know what's going on at their operation at any time and still have the flexibility to go back in time and change. And it combined with animal health, it makes them the best management decisions that we can possibly make. And I think about just the advancement of technology in agriculture. We've seen a lot of it on the grain side, but also seeing a lot of it now on the livestock side. And as you alluded to, I think having that ability to check on your operation when you're not on your operation, things like that, having all that data right there at your fingertips, so crucial, so important, isn't it? Absolutely. And the nice thing is that I can pull up my operation right here at a trade show and I can see what my break-even prices are right now. If I get feed two weeks ago and I finally get that sale ticket price, I can go back in time and change that. And the system does all the math for me. And even I, I'm doing a custom feeder and I need to have a percentage added onto it. It'll go back and update all of my cattle on what that price is. And then combined with the animal health side, right now sustainability is a really big and hot topic that yes. we're just we're talking about. And so now I can look at my health respiratory response and combined with my feeding. So now I can make better buying decisions down the road to select more feed efficient, but also more health proficient cattle. And so I don't have as much of a dollar investment from a pharmaceutical standpoint. And I think as well, ease of use to use performance beef and the other great products you guys have. I know, you know, different folks have different acumen when it comes to 
technology, social media, apps, et cetera, et cetera, but ease of use, it sounds like it's fairly easy to use, isn't it? Yeah, that's the great thing about the program. Um, I wasn't even really familiar with it until I got on board, and within a week, I figured it out. My Most of my guys, they call me within two, three weeks, and they've already figured out how to use it, and if they have any questions, we have a support line that, and it's even us sales, we do the after hours sometimes. So you might be talking to me and we know what you're looking for. Our team has a very extensive cattle background. I would say 90% of our staff, including engineers, have some sort of cattle experience. And that really helps with the user side because what makes sense on pen and paper sometimes doesn't make sense in application and on the farm guard at the shoot side. And so how could, especially when you talk about tracking animal health costs, on shoot side, how can we make that more efficient for the user so we can still capture that data, but you're not sitting there for 10 years trying to enter in that information. I'm sure if ranchers want to learn more about Performance Beef PLA, look at using that on their operation if they're not already going online. Probably a great way to start and learn more information, isn't it? Absolutely. So performancelivestockanalytics.com, and we have multiple different products, multiple different systems, some of them that we're hoping to release this year. And so uh, no matter what stage in the cattle operation that you are in, holler at us and you can actually get a one-on-one customized demo and we can hopefully see you on the PLA team. Fantastic. Emma Kaufman with Performance Livestock Analytics. Thanks for joining us here at the NCBA Trade Show in New Orleans. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a good one. And once again, Emma Kaufman, Performance Livestock Analytics uh, from a few weeks back in New Orleans while we were there on site. Thought that was a very interesting conversation uh, with her and glad we could bring that to you here today on Market Talk. Want to take a look at one uh, last news item here before we wrap up the show today. Farm income expected to be lower in 2023. USDA's Economic Research Service releasing its 2023 farm income forecast at the Ag Outlook Forum. Carrie Litowski, Senior Economist with the ERS talks about the numbers. We're forecasting that farm sector income had reached record highs in 2022 and will decrease in 2023 as commodity prices fall and total expenses remain elevated. First, net cash farm income in 2023 is forecast to increase about 20% relative to 2022. Net farm income is forecast to decline about 16% in 2023. She says profits from commodity sales will likely fall this year. A major component of farm income are cash receipts from the sale of agricultural commodities, and these are expected to decrease about 4% from a forecast record high in 2022. Further contributing to lower income in 2023 are direct government payments, which are forecast to fall about 34%, and total production expenses, or the costs that farmers incur to produce their output, is forecast to increase about 4%. And farm balance sheets are still relatively strong early here this year. When we look at the balance sheet, it's relatively strong with assets, debt, and equity all forecast to increase in 2023. We also put out some data on net cash farm income averages for farm businesses, and all farm businesses are expected on average to see a net farm income fall about 18%. And once again, that is comments with Kerry Litowski of the Economic Research Service. The Economic Research Service predicting that farm income is expected to be lower here in the year ahead. 
Well, that is all the time we have for Market Talk today. Thanks again for joining us and making us part of your day as always. We'll see what the markets have in store for us as we uh, get into a new week ahead as we saw plenty of pressure risk off trading on Friday. That's going to do it for the show today. Thanks again. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Thanks for tuning in to Market Talk. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency. So you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.